The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is John McHale, and I serve as the community group's pastor here. And I have the, the joy to open God's Word with you this morning. Um, as I was preparing for... Um, this sermon, I came across an old story of a couple um, from Romania. Uh, their names were Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. And they met Jesus uh, amidst a world of atheism. They lived in Romania at the time, uh, which was a communist country, and just had a real heart to bring the gospel to the Romanian people. But ministry was hard. They battled the constant threat of imprisonment, the threat of torture. Um, they actually had to um, be pretty sneaky in their ministry methods. They had a season where they ministered to the soldiers, the Russian army and the Romanian soldiers, and they had to uh, pretend like they were there to shine shoes. And when the officials would come in, they would take out their shoe shining stuff and the shine the shoes. But then when the officials would leave, they would get back to speaking about Jesus and teaching the Bible. Ministry was hard, but they pushed forward. There was one um, story of an evening when the communist government had convened a congress. It was towards the beginning of this new government. And they invited all the Christian leaders to come. And one after another, pastor after pastor would stand up and declare that communism and Christianity were fundamentally the same thing and they could coexist. Richard and Sabina were there and Richard was actually preparing to go stand up to be one of those pastors, obviously maybe with a different message. And his wife looked at him before he got up and said, Richard, stand up. Wash away this shame from the face of Christ. They are spitting in his face. And Richard looked at his wife and said, do you, do you understand what you're asking me to do? If I do, you lose your husband. And she replied, I do not wish to have a coward as a husband. Though we don't face imprisonment and torture, we live in a culture of growing hostility to the things of Jesus. And the pressure to compromise on biblical truth is very, very real to all of us in this room. We feel it. As society continues to change, we're having to ask serious questions about what it looks like to remain faithful to Christ in our day. Christianity was once the majority in the West. We used to be the big kid on the block. But now Christ followers are being labeled as irrelevant, judgmental, and bigoted. And all of us in this room are wondering, how do we respond? Daniel 3 helps us answer that question. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are confronted with the pressures of a Babylonian culture. And they were forced to make a decision. And so as we study this passage today, we're going to see three things. 
Number one, the struggle of faith in a changing culture. Number two, the surrender to faith in a changing culture. And three, the savior of faith in a changing culture. The struggle, the surrender, and the savior. Let's start with the struggle of faith in a changing culture. The nation of Israel is having a rough go at it. They're experiencing hard times. The Babylonian superpower has stomped into Israel's land and destroyed it. They've ripped the Israelites from their home. They've destroyed the temple. And the Israelites are struggling on how to live life in a foreign country. This was a time in Israel's history when they were asking serious questions about God's sovereignty and God's power and whether there, there even was a future for the people of Israel. Was God still in control? Or worse, did he even care about his people? So we have that happening in and among the Israelite people. But then on the, at the same time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thriving in Babylon. They're, they're doing well. And if we look at chapters 1 and 2, we see Daniel and his friends climbing the corporate ladder. They're securing really awesome jobs and doing well. And this is the, the tension that we find these men in. On the one hand, they're asking questions about God's sovereignty. Is God still in control? But then on the other hand, things are going pretty well in Babylon. This might not be such a bad thing for us. The pressure to compromise their faith in Yahweh was real. These men are human beings. They're weak. They struggle just like us. If God wasn't in control, then it was okay for them to pursue a future in Babylon. In fact, they, they needed to secure a future in Babylon. And would, would, would it even be wise for them to compromise their new jobs for faith in Yahweh? Would that be a wise thing to do? This is the background as we step into chapter 3. These guys didn't come to chapter 3 with a clean slate. They were wrestling with questions and struggling and wondering. Chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar decides to build a ginormous statue. It was huge, 90 feet tall. In the ancient world, this would have been astronomical. He builds this great statue to establish his dominion over Babylon. He wants to declare himself as the sovereign one over all the earth. And he calls all the political officials and all um, his crew and says, when the music plays, bow to show your submission to me and to the Babylonian gods. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are faced with a serious decision. They can bow to the golden image, keep their jobs, but compromise their faith in Yahweh 
or they can refuse to bow, remain faithful to God, but suffer death by being burned alive. Though we're not faced with physical death in the Western world, we live in a day where there is great opposition to God's truth. And we're in a, a shift in the Western world. For a long time, um, Christianity, the gospel, the message of Christ, has experienced great favor. But we're watching this favor slip through our fingers. And we're wondering the same questions that Israel was wondering. Is God still in control? Does he even care about his people anymore? And the pressure to bow to a changing culture is very, very real to all of us. We see it every day we walk out our door. We see it on our TVs. We see it on the news stations. This is one of the battles that we are fighting as God's people. And it makes matters worse because we look at other Christians who are compromising and it doesn't really seem to be going poorly for them. And we begin to ask these questions. What? Maybe, maybe I'm just being judgmental. Maybe, who am I to tell someone how to live their life? And if we're not careful, what happens is we forget that this has nothing to do with us. Issues of marriage, sexuality, and every sense of right and wrong are being redefined by a changing culture. And we are witnessing something called a moral revolution in this country. Those who take a stand for God's truth are marginalized, rejected, and treated as the enemy. And the pressure builds and builds and builds every day. Now let me pause here. Uh, if I can hit the pause button in a sermon, I don't know if I can do that, but I'm going to. Um, because I think there's something that we can learn from the way Daniel and his friends live in exile. Notice the way they enter into a Babylonian world. They don't stand in condemnation of it, but they enter into it. And it, we get so stuck in reading this story over and over again, we miss the fact that these men are loving and serving an anti-Yahweh population. Babylon doesn't serve the gods that Israel serves. Babylon doesn't live life like Israel lives life. Babylon doesn't have the values that Israel has. But nonetheless, they enter in. Filled with grace and truth, we are called to live amidst a changing culture. Not militantly, but like servants to the world. And the old adage, uh, it fits here, in the world, but not of the world. We can stand for Christ in a changing culture and at the same time lay our lives down. To love, to serve, and to enjoy but we must take a stand nonetheless, even if it's going to cost us something 
Albert Moeller is a president of a seminary in Kentucky, and he's written at length on this moral revolution. And listen to what he says. When it comes to marriage and morality, Christians cannot be silent. Not because we are morally superior, but because we know that God has a better plan for humanity than we would ever devise for ourselves. Beyond that, we cannot be silent because we know that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he came to save us from our sins. We cannot rightly tell people about the gospel of Jesus if we do not speak rightly about sin and its consequences. We must not be silent. Because if we are, the gospel is lost. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not silent. They refused to bow, even when it cost them their very lives. This brings us to the surrender to faith in a changing culture. And the surrender is basically this, trusting God even when it's costly. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were confronted with death by burning. It was not, it was not a simple, easy decision for them. They had to count the cost. Was it worth it? Was it worth facing the fires of the furnace to stay faithful to Yahweh? <clears throat> we see their response in verses 16 to 18, and I want to read them again because it's so powerful. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they respond with great clarity and conviction. No one's wondering what they're saying. And they hit two things in their response. The first is this. They believed God was able to deliver them. In a time when Israel was asking serious questions about God's sovereignty and God's power, these men together, as a brotherhood, as a community, they gather and publicly affirm God's power and sovereignty over Babylon. They said, we will not affirm you, O king, as the sovereign one, because we already know the sovereign one, the king and lord over all creation, and we serve him. King Nebuchadnezzar had squashed Israel like a bug. And these men refused to bow. Second, they entrust themselves to God's plan and God's wisdom. Notice the phrase in verse 18, but if not. This is, this is awesome. They declare, God is able to deliver us but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to compromise, and they put their faith in Yahweh even when it costs them their very lives. 
And this is a very important truth. The second point, they entrust themselves to God because it demonstrates the true nature of biblical faith. Yes, these men affirm God's power, but they also surrender themselves to God's will no matter what will happen. They literally put themselves in God's hands. Do whatever you want, God. Typically, our understanding of faith doesn't always line up with this kind of surrender. And there's a pastor in Illinois, his name's Brian Chapel, and he identifies and talks about this error that kind of sneaks in to our faith. And he says, one error that creeps into our understanding of faith is the idea that God will do as we desire if our desire is righteous enough. Take an example. Think about a job that you really, really want. It's a job that you are qualified for, you have a great resume, it's a job that you would love, maybe even your dream job. And you have every intention to honor God in this job. The kind of faith that Chapel is talking about is believing that God will give you the job because your intentions are righteous. And we think, I can't see a reason why God wouldn't give me this job, therefore he will give it to me. The problem is that we don't always see things from God's perspective. He sees things that we don't see. But we can trust that his ways always care for us. And that's the point. We can entrust ourselves to the God of Scripture because he loves us more than anyone will ever love us. He will care for us better than anyone will ever care for us. We must learn, this is the hat or the, the hook I want to hang the whole sermon on. We must learn to be a people who allow God to be God. To surrender to him even when the outcome might be hard, might be uncomfortable, might be costly. Because Jesus, following Jesus is costly. But, let me suggest this morning that the cost of compromise is far greater. Compromise seems very appealing. It's, it seems tempting. But when we veer from God's word, we veer from the gospel itself. And even though it seems to be the better, easier option, we always end up feeling empty. We always end up feeling confused and lacking joy. Yes, the cost of following Jesus is great, but the cost of compromise is far greater. My dad had a portrait in his office growing up and it was front and center. I could tell as a young boy that it was important to him. Had no clue what, what it was, but it just looked like a bunch of scratches on a portrait. It was a pencil sketch of a scene from the Protestant Reformation when a young monk named Martin Luther stood before the Roman Catholic Church. 
Martin Luther had challenged the Catholic Church on serious gospel issues. He was convinced that they were distorting God's truth. And young, little Martin Luther confronted the Roman Catholic Church. And you can imagine, they were, they were ticked. They were mad and angry. So they invited him to a council to stand before all of the religious leaders. All of the Roman Catholic Church is in this room. And little Martin Luther is standing in the middle. And his life, his future, his ministry, everything hung in the balance. And this, this was the picture in my dad's study. They invited him to this council and they were prepared to give him one last opportunity to recant. And if he didn't, he would be excommunicated. He would be cast out of his country, cast away from his family and his friends. He would be alone. Luther thought long and hard and he labored over this decision. Prayed all night. And this was his response. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to, for to go against conscience would be neither right nor safe. God help me. Here I stand. I can do no other. Luther refused to compromise on God's truth because he understood that compromising, that recanting, would be losing far more. He basically is saying, if I have to go against God's word, I don't want to go there. Because I know if I go there, I will be alone. I won't have my source of life. Our courage is not in good outcomes. Our courage is not in acceptance and social um, heroism. I, I don't know. It's not in the easy way. Our courage is in the sovereignty of God, His Word and His truth. And even more, our courage is with the Savior. Let's look at the Savior of faith in a changing culture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had defied King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was ticked. He was really, 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 really mad. Furious. How could these little Hebrew nothings stand before the great King Nebuchadnezzar and his big statue? So they were thrown into the fire, cast to burn. And as Nebuchadnezzar, he leaned back to watch these men burn, he was confused and astonished. And he looked around and said, didn't we throw three guys in there? Like, yeah, yeah, I think, we, I think we threw three guys in there. Then why do I see four men in there? And wait a second, the fourth looks different. Looks like a son of the gods. Throughout the Old Testament, there are moments when Jesus shows up. He shows up. There's a long history of Bible scholars that see 
this fourth figure as a pre-incarnate Jesus. He shows up to defend and protect his people. Jesus shows up and says, Nebuchadnezzar, take your fire. Take whatever you have against my people and I will defend, I will protect. The story goes on to describe the scene. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king, king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of the fire had come upon them, perfectly intact, untouched by the flames. And everyone gathered to witness and behold God's deliverance and God's power and God's sovereignty in Babylon. This is a powerful testimony of God's grace in exile. If we look and step back at the big picture, we, we look at the history of Israel and the book of Daniel. What we realize is the reason that Israel is actually in exile is because they disobeyed God for worshiping idols. See the irony. They failed to obey God. But God was gracious to them. And Jesus shows up in the fire. And Daniel 3 teaches us an important truth to live by. As we surrender our lives to Jesus, he has not forgotten you amidst a changing culture. Just as Jesus didn't forget his, his people in exile, he does not forget you in a changing culture. As the world comes crashing down, Jesus has not forgotten you. God is still sovereign. God is still in charge. And even if you fail, he is faithful. In all of our fears, in all of our failures, what happens is Jesus becomes the hero. And we love when he becomes the hero. Jesus, the one who steps through the fires of sin and death to reconcile us to the Father. Another truth that we see in this passage is that Jesus is present with us. Through all of the battles, through all of the shame, through all of the threats made against God's people, Jesus is with us. And though our physical deliverance from suffering is not always guaranteed, we are guaranteed the Savior's presence. No matter how dark the valley is, no matter how great the cost, Jesus is with you. And lastly, He, this Jesus, has promised to return. The day is coming when this Savior who went into the fire after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there is a day coming when this king is going to crack open the sky and return to rescue his people. The Bible says he will set up his kingdom 
and make all things right. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. This is our hope. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope is not in the success of being the majority in the West. Our hope is in the life to come. Fix your eyes there. This entire sermon takes focus when we realize that our lives are not invested in this world. Our future is in the kingdom. It's in the new heavens and the new earth. We are strangers and aliens in this place. We are exiles. That's what the Bible would call us. In a culture that is hostile to Christ, that is pressuring us to compromise, but we stand with Him. Bold surrender to Christ is possible only because our lives are invested in a heavenly reality. Sabina said to her husband, Richard, stand up. Wipe away this shame from the face of Christ. They are spitting in his face. And Richard looks at her and says, if I do that, you lose your husband. Richard rose to the podium and spoke to the Congress proclaiming Jesus as the sovereign one, proclaiming the gospel. With the Congress meeting broadcast, the gospel message went out to over 4,000 Romanians. Richard and Sabina had decided to trust God even when it was costly. And they would go on to have a powerful ministry filled with imprisonment, tortures, and the threat of death. The struggle of faith in a changing culture is upon us. It's here. We must be a people who surrender to faith even when it's costly. Because God is gracious, Jesus is with you, and he is coming for our ultimate deliverance. No matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens to our bodies, no one can take what you have in Jesus. It is secure. It is well with my soul, as the psalmist says. And the waves are going to crash and hit. We are going to fall. And we are going to lose. But it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Uh, Father, you are the sovereign king over all things. You are in control of everything, of all of our government's leaders. You are in control of the news, of everything that happens. You are sovereign. And we entrust ourselves to you and declare that you are good and you are faithful. I pray that you would raise up a generation in this room to stand 
and to live with bold surrender, even if it's costly. We love you. Pray that you would be honored and glorified with your people. Pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.